Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia. I'm in my early 20s and man has it been full of shit shows. <laughs> it's been great. It's been career changes, industry changes, pivots, highs, lows, crying, happy, everything in between and it's been great and I just really wanted to create the show to hopefully share with you guys that we all go through the craziness of our 20s. We all go through these shit show moments and we all grow through them. And I hope that you're able to see yourself in some of these stories. And if any of these episodes resonate with you, I would love for you to share it with a friend as well as leave me a review on iTunes. It really helps. And if you want to connect with me, my Instagram's the shit show in my 20s. And yeah, without further ado, let's get going. Today's guest is Edwin. I love chatting with him. Edwin is a God-made millionaire, family-oriented investor and mentor. And through his run, he has founded several multi-million dollar companies that specialize in real estate development, transportation and logistics, investment and business education and consulting, backed by 20 years of extensive experience in several industries. Edwin now shares his passion for entrepreneurship by mentoring others since he has realized most people don't live a fulfilled life simply because success comes at the cost of poor family life, unbalanced life, or compromising their values to achieve success. So Edwin guides people in the path of living to their fullest and having balance in all areas of their life. In this episode, we go into so many incredible things. So we go into how he became bankrupt in his 20s, his journey of rebuilding, what he looks for in a business, going to the Marines, and a millionaire mindset, and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. Awesome. So thank you so much, Edwin, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. So I'd love to start. Tell me about your 20s. Feel free to include any shit show moments where it resonate with. Let's start there. Hey, Sophia, how you doing? Thank you for having me here. So my 20s, I think the cool moment when I turned 20, I was in Japan. I was living in Japan. I was in the Marine Corps already. So my first duty station was Japan. So that's when I turned 20. And and it was cool because I was there. I had a lot of time, you know, one of my biggest like shit show moments because you know, let's talk about this because it has to be a funny part was that prior to me going into the military i wanted to become an attorney and since i wanted to become an attorney going into the military i went in open contract and they asked me to become a truck driver so like from one extreme to the other one where i didn't see myself as a truck driver because i was seeing myself as a professional as an executive professional more than as a truck driver right Mm-hmm. Totally different professions. So um, the first week that I get there, I jumped the chain of command. So instead of talking to my superior, I went to like the highest guy in my, in my command, in my unit. And I told him the same story that I just told you that you know, I was going to school to become an attorney. I didn't see myself as a truck driver. And, you know, how can this happen? So, you know, and, we let, and he's like, okay, devil dog, let me see. You know, they all call devil dogs. I'm like, let me see what we're going to do. How can we help you out? Well, that was it. We left it like that. I was happy. Three weeks later, you know, we, we, every morning we had to do formation. And like three weeks later, my superior calls me up. He's like, um, Lance Corporal Carrion, come to the front. I'm like, oh, what happened? Like, I thought I was getting promoted. I mean, like, I don't know what happened. I like, what did I do? Like, I was worried because they call me to the front. I mean, I have all the Marines there for my team. It was like 60, 70 of them. And then they call me to the front, the front of everybody. And then he goes to me, he's like, well, this double dog just F me in the back because he decided to jump the chain of command and go 
bitch to the superior that he's too good to be a truck driver. I'm like, oh my God, like I'm, I was dying inside. I'm like, this guy's like putting me in front of everybody, telling me this crazy thing, like just making me look horrible, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, and for that, my roommate at the time, he extended an additional year in Japan just to go on a deployment on, on a battleship, just to go on a battleship to do a deployment. Because when you're there, because you're overseas, normally you don't get to do deployment. But if you extend an extra year in Japan, you know, he got the opportunity to go on a deployment. So he extended to go on a deployment. So now going back to when I'm information. So he explained this to me prior for this happening like weeks before. So while we're information, my superior goes, and now because he's too good and he's going to go on a deployment to work as an office bitch. So I'm like, oh my God, this is me. I just got to Japan, you know, less than a month. And now I'm going on a deployment when I had my roommate extend an extra year and just to go on a deployment. And here I am a month and I'm already going on, the, on a deployment. So that was like one of my highlights of my 20s, which I like, like embarrassing, but you know that I learned that if you speak up for the things that you believe and for the things that you want in your life, you're going to get those things, right? Mm -hmm. So I went on the deployment. It was an amazing thing. While all the other Marines were like cleaning the trucks every day, sitting in the bunks, I was having fun. To me, it was like I went on a cruise ship because the only thing I was doing, I, I only had one superior in charge of me and I was with him. So it was only us two. So every morning I'll go to him. I'm like, Gunny, what do you need me to do? It's like, do whatever you want. Just don't drown. I'll hang out on the officer's deck the whole day. So the officer's deck had air conditioning. So I was hanging out on the officer's deck with this uh, intel guy and that's all. We didn't do anything. Like the whole time it was like for us, we were just cruising, eating and having fun while everybody else would like every day they had to clean the trucks. They had to oil, grease the trucks and everything else. So we got, we got to Korea and in Korea, we're, we got to Pohang, Korea. So we were, we were there for two days. And while all the, none of the, half of the Marines couldn't go out because they had to rest for the assault that we were going to do, the other half of the Marines had to drive all the way down to Taixaru Beach where we're going to do an amphibious assault. Uh, exercise and uh, I told my gun, I'm like, what, what, and like, can I go out? Can I go sightseeing? He's like, yeah, just go out, make sure you come back in one piece. With my Intel guy, we went out and we just hang out in Korea for two full days. So that's what I would say to me. That was like, that's like one of my highlights in Japan, in the military, in the Marine Corps. My other biggest highlight, I have a lot of them, but the other one was that I was fortunate enough to get selected after coming back from all of that. I got selected to, to do one of the top 10 jobs that only top 10% of the Marine Corps get to do in the Marine Corps which is be a Marine security guard. So when you look at those cool movies within foreign countries and you see the Marines guarding the embassies, that's the type of job that I was doing back then. So a highlight of that moment was number one, I got to unveil the brand new American embassy that took like almost 30 years to build and is the most expensive embassy in the world. So I was there for that. I was there for Y2K when everybody thought the world was gonna end. And, and you're too young for that. You're too young to know that, but <laughs> Y2K, everybody thought the, the world was gonna end. So, because, you know, it was the, the year 2000. So, you know, what's going to happen? Nobody knew what's going to happen. All the computers closed were going to happen. So we're on guard that night. And so I was there for that. And I was there. The president, Bill Clinton, at that time came to Russia. And it was so cool because we got to go on a run with him to the park while we had the Secret Service around us. So that was like really good things about my 20s in the military that I, that I could tell you about. You know, those, those were the main highlights of my 20s in the military. Besides, you know, living in another country, getting paid in dollars, having drivers, living in these beautiful houses, and just having a diplomatic passport and just walking in like, you know, you're like, you were like a star anywhere you go. So it was fun. Those were my 20s in the wow. military. Wow, that's cool. And I'm curious, I want to go backwards. What inspired your decision to go into the military? 
what inspired my decision to join the military? Number one, I always wanted to, to be in the military. I always admire and, and I like serving the country. And especially when coming here at 12 years old from a different country, the U.S. became my country. I'm like, you know what? I need to do something for my country. I, I love the uniform. I love the way they look. I want to be that. But the other thing too, that when I was 18 years old, I got into trouble for trying to steal some rims. And I'm like, you know what? I need to change my life. I need to go to the military. And I just kind of need to fix my life around, turn my life around. But Prior to me leaving, I changed my life around. I was working. I was doing a lot of things that I needed to do. We're going to college. I was working. I had my own business by then. But then the recruiter came to me. He's like, you know, it's time for you to go, uh, which he lied to me. I didn't have to go. But when I was there, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make the best out of this. And that's sure enough what I did. I made the, the best out of it. And I got one thing that nobody could ever take that away from me, which is, you know, that pride of being a Marine. Nobody could ever take that right away from me, especially like the Marine Corps is like one of the best branches of the military service. And to all my military people that are listening to this, no disrespect, but Marines are the best. And I want to go back to what you said earlier about like speaking up for the things that you want. I'm kind of curious on your mindset around that because it takes guts sometimes, you know, all especially in that scenario, like it takes guts to say like, hey, this is what I want. And I'm curious, what was kind of the background leading up to that? Or what gave you the confidence to be able to say like, you know, no matter what, I'm going to go for what I want and I'm going to speak about it and I'm going to make sure that I am, I can go after that. Yes. Um, so Growing up, I grew up from, you know, I was not rich. I was not poor, but I was in middle class. I was like maybe like lower end. And my mom worked very hard to put me in private schools. So I always will see like all these kids and, you know, they had money, like even going here in the U.S. to high school, like, you know, I was 16 years old and all these kids are driving BMWs, Mercedes. And that kind of got me like, you know, like I want to have that. Like it, it wasn't an envy, but it was like a passion of, of, of something pushing me to be successful, to want to have that, right? So I, and then going to the Marine Corps, I had this thing inside of me that was bothering me for so long that this is not what I wanted in my life. I'm here to make the best out of it, but this is not what I want. So if I don't speak up, I'm just going to be like everybody else that I need to, to speak to somebody and let them know how I feel. So in that part, especially growing up in, in my family, we were, we lacked communication a lot. That's one of the things that we lacked a lot, communication. So I wasn't very good at communicating. So everything in my life, I had to kind of push myself to get out of that comfort zone and just kind of go for the things that I want or kind of push myself out of the comfort zone to be who I'm not or who I want to be. Because sometimes, you know, we look at different things and we want to be that person and we're going to be this way. But then, you know, then we get back into our negative mindset and saying, you know what, don't do it. You're not good enough to do this or you can't do this or you can't be like this. But no, it's, you know, again, it's, it's back. It's a mindset. So we have to push ourselves and get out of that comfort zone and say, you know what? No, I'm going to step out of the shell and I'm going to do it. And then if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, at least you tried. And we continue trying and trying and trying. So, so that's what got me there, especially once I got the pride, you know, of being a Marine, once I finished boot camp, which I thought I, at the beginning... It was mental for me that I thought I couldn't finish. But once I finished that and I overcame that obstacle, I'm like, you know what? I could speak my mind. I could say the things that I need to say. And I just decided and I speak to them, especially when he asked me, he's like, you know, tell me, what do you see? What, what, what do you see yourself? And then I had to, I had to really, at that moment that they ask, it's like, why hold the back? They're asking for it. Let me tell them how I feel. Mm. I feel like there's like a drive that comes from when you're not able to have that thing that you want. Like when you see everyone else around you have that thing. You really want it, but you don't have it. That sort of drive, do you feel like you could have that drive without having that experience? Or do you feel like you need those sort of experiences in order to create that? 
Well, as we grow up, we all have different drives. And, and the drive is like, you don't have to specifically have those experiences to have the drive, but we all live through something in our life that gives us different type of drive. So again, you know, you, you do have the experiences eventually. It could be in your house, like, and it could be as simple as growing up, being raised by a single mother like I was. My drive is to have a healthy marriage and be there for my kids until they grow up and they graduate and watch them, you know, get married and everything else. That's, that was my drive, especially for having a family, being raised without a family per se, like without a father and a mother, just, you know, with a mother. I'm like, you know what, when I grow up, I want to have a good family. I want to change this. So learning from the negative and converting that into the positive. Mm. And if you were to like narrow down, like maybe like the top two things you got out of like your experience in the military, what do you think those top two lessons would be for you? Number one, the values. I love the values that I carry, which is honor, courage, and commitment. So I use those values throughout my life and everything that I do, being a person of honor, courage, and commitment. And number two, the pride, the sense of pride where I learned that I am the shit. No matter, no matter what anybody says, I am who I am. I am the shit. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care how they look at me. I look at myself the way that I want to look at, and I could achieve anything that I want in my life. And that I got in the military, that sense of pride. Wow. And where did you go from from there? What did you do after the military? So I left the Marine for 22 years old. So I'm still in my 20s. So it's part of our, our show, right? Part of the mm-hmm. 20s. And when I left the Marine Corps, I became a real estate developer. I got out and I started buying land and building houses. And it was cool because when I left the Marine Corps, I left with a lot of debt. So I had no money. I was broke. I didn't save. Again, you know, growing up, I didn't have a, a good education of financial. I didn't have anybody wealthy in my family. So I didn't know what it was to save and things like that. My mom was very, I, I did have the, the working that you have to work hard for everything that you get. And I learned that also in the military, that you have to work hard. So coming out of the Marine Corps, I became a real estate developer and I came in at the perfect time. In 2002, it was like the real estate market is starting to go up. Perfect timing, just like this past couple of years that you've seen that, you know, everything is appreciated. I'm sure you hear that everywhere. So it was th- that happened to me. So I came out and started buying land, selling land, building one house. From one house, I went to two, two to four and continued, you know, uh, compounding every time, four to eight, eight to 16. And I made like over $20 million in a matter of only four years. So I was still very young. I was 26 years old. I was still in my 20s. Worked my ass off very hard, nonstop, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Like I was working, working, working because I wanted to build this empire. I wanted to be this millionaire guy. I wanted to be this successful guy, right? So, and I put everything else aside. I put my family aside. I put my health aside just for, you know, chasing the money, chasing the success. And then uh, sure enough, in 2007, the market crashes and I go bankrupt. So those were my biggest learning lessons of the 20s that, you know, that nothing lasts forever and that you have to be prepared for, for what's coming next. And again, the, the other thing that I learned and I always teach, and this is one of the biggest things that I teach nowadays. And every time I speak to people, even young people, I tell them, it's like, you have to live life to the fullest. You know, once you learn to live life to the fullest, everything else falls into place. So that by living life to the fullest means you have to have a balance in life. You know, it can't be too much work. It can't be too much partying. It can't be too much your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You know, it has to be a balance in life. So once you have the balance in life, everything flows perfectly because you become happy. And the moment that you're happy, that, that's what life is about, being happy. The moment that you're happy, you're able to do things, pleasure with love, with the, the, the way that you want it because you're doing 
you're happy inside. So that means that if I'm, if I'm upset right now, if I'm unhappy, I can't make my wife happy. I can't make my kids happy. I won't be happy at work because, you know, I have everything bothering me. So you have to learn to kind of have the balance in life and live life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. How did you like find out about like real estate developing? Like how did you transition to that? Did you already always like know that was a possibility for you or like how'd that kind of come together for you? Oh, that was a funny one. Actually, I was about when I was about to get out of the Marine Corps, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, you know, like most of us in our 20s, we have no idea what we want to do with our life. I'm like, what are we going to do? We're trying to figure things out. And while I was trying to figure things out, since I was surrounded in the military by a lot of like high-end dignitaries, I was working with FBI, DIA, CIA, like all these federal government agencies. I realized that the military wasn't for me. And then I said, you know, since I cannot be, since I don't want to be more in the military, I'm going to go work for the federal government or I'm just going to go out. But in order for me to work for the federal government, I needed to have an education, a college degree, because that's the only way to get into the federal government. So I'm like, okay, so I'm going to get out. I'm going to get a a job with the federal air marshals until I get my degree and then come back and work for the federal government because it was cool working overseas. And there's a lot of work overseas in the federal government. But then prior to me getting out, so I was telling my mom the story that, you know, of my plan of what I was planning on doing. She's like, oh, maybe you should just become a developer. So I'm like, what's a developer? And then at that time, going back, I'm sorry, going back. At that time, computers were getting big. So I learned how to do networking. And I met a couple of people that used to do computer networking. And I thought about doing that, working for the embassies because I had my top secret clearance. So I'm like, okay, maybe I just go get my networking license. My At the time, it was the A-plus license and go become a networker and just travel around the world and do networks and embassies. And they get paid good. They get to travel. You know, something fun that you kind of think about, right? So yeah. my mom goes, like, you should become a developer. So I'm like, what's a developer? Like, I have no idea what that was. So she's like, oh, buy land and you build houses. And the reason she knows this is because... She owns an insurance agency where she does commercial insurance and her clients were contractors, developers. And then she sees like a country, a developer comes and like, okay, you know, uh, I need you to insure this project that I'm going to build. I need you to insure for a million dollars. And then I'm like, he's like, oh, he just sold the house and he sold it for $3 million. He just made $2 million. So he's looking at all this. He's looking at all these things, right? So then, of, of course, I'm like, okay, you know, that sounds like pretty cool. That sounds something I would like. So that's how I got into development because of that, because of my mom. So of course, for me, prior to getting out of the Marine Corps, I, I Yahoo at that time, there was no Google, there was no Facebook, there was no social media. So you guys are super lucky that you have all those things now. You have so much access to so many things. So I went on Yahoo and I figured out how to build a house. And I learned how to build a house online. And when I came to Miami to start doing development, I realized that the way that I learned to build, that's how you build up north. You know, in sticks here in Miami, you you build totally different. Everything is concrete. Everything is blocks. Everything is steel. So I had to relearn how to build. And at that time, one uh, my mom had one of her clients, which was a contractor, and he became my first mentor. And he was so nice. Until this day, I have a, a huge appreciation for what he did for me because he gave me a step-by-step. He's like, okay, this is how you build. Write down step-by-step. Once you finish doing this with the steps, come back to me and tell me how to do things again. So now that I'm a lot older and a lot wiser, the power of having a mentor is extremely important in life because without him, even, I mean, even having him as a mentor, I made a lot of mistakes, but I didn't make as many mistakes as I would have made if I, would, I didn't have that mentor in my life, if I didn't have him as a mentor for business or for life or trying to figure out how I needed to do things. So, and the good thing is that eventually, you know, the, the, the mentee becomes the mentor. And, you know, that, that's where I am right now in my role as a mentor. But again, it's extremely important to have a mentor, to find somebody that 
is where you want to get to, that has what you, what you want in life and shares the same values in order for you to follow that person and that person could guide you on the right path. So it kind of cuts down the learning curve because, you know, we're all capable of doing anything in our lives. Like I was able to become a developer. I could have done it by myself, but maybe for me to learn to build a house, it would have taken me maybe three years. Having him as helping me, you know, he cut down the learning curve to a year. Mm. And I'm wondering, like, what you what you do after you got bankrupt? Like, did you go back to real estate right away? Or what was that, like, whole process like after that happened? No, after I went bankrupt? Mm-hmm. No, after I went bankrupt, I was 26 years old at the time. And no, 20, let me see. I was 27 years old when I went back. After I went bankrupt, uh, my good friend of mine from the Marine Corps, he's like, Edwin, have a great business opportunity. Do you have any money? And of course, at that time, I was still broke. But of course, when he said business opportunity, I'm like, okay, you know what? I need to listen to this business opportunity. So he comes to me. He's like, I'm like what is it? So he told me it was about the gold buying business. So mind you, right now we're in a recession. Everybody needs money. Everybody's struggling. Foreclosures left and right. Everybody's losing everything. So the gold buying business was like a cash for gold. You know, we go out and we buy broken and unwanted jewelry. So if you, for example, have a chain that you no longer use, but you need money, you come in and you sell the chain. Kind of like a pawn shop, but not a pawn shop because a pawn shop, you leave that temporarily and you, you get it back when you go back and pay for it. We're actually buying things things that were broken, things that people didn't need. So in a matter of a month, I liked the business model. In a matter of a month, I was able to raise $300,000 from friends and family. And that's how the company got started. We started the company in Rhode Island with him. And in less than two years, that company was making over $15 million a year in revenue. I was only working five hours a week. And I was able to retire by the time I was 31 years old for the first time in my life that I retired. And that, that was the story with I was sold that company in 2014 and it was a very good exit and, and it was a good business. It was a great business because I learned that you need to have a recession proof business. You need to, whatever business you have, you need to figure out and make sure that it's recession proof. Meaning that again, if the, if something changes in the market, you're ready for it. Just like when COVID started, when COVID started, you know, that's like, it was like a small, it wasn't a recession, but it was a pandemic, right? So businesses that weren't ready for, for a recession, businesses that weren't ready for a pandemic, they all suffer. A lot of them closed down. So to me, once I learned that my business, the type of business that I had was recession proof. So when we went into COVID, my business, it was a necessity, continue moving, nothing happened, nothing stopped. So we're, we continue moving. So that was a good thing. And on the real estate side, I came back to the real estate side after selling my, my jewelry company. On the real estate side, I learned that I cannot be over leveraged. And that's the reason I went bankrupt the first time because I was so over leveraged because I was trying to grow so fast that this time around, you know, I use a lot of my capital. We use very little leverage and that helped going through the tough moments, especially when COVID stopped, when COVID happened, you know, we're able to sustain all the properties because everything was paid, paid in cash and there was no loans. There was no nothing. So we're able to sustain all the properties that we have because we didn't need money. We didn't need the cash flow coming in at that time. We're okay surviving for until the market, until we see what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, I, when we're young, again, it happened to me. I wanted to grow really fast. I wanted to be successful. I, I was chasing the money and uh, I wanted it now. I wanted the immediate satisfaction of having that. And after that, I went bankrupt. I learned that Rome was not built in a day. It took a long time for, for Rome to be built. So if we treat our lives that way and we enjoy, enjoy life more, 
you know, we're going to get to where we're going to get to, but we need to have a, a plan and we need to have a clear idea of where we want to get to and what is it that we want in our lives. And once we have that, we're going to get there eventually. It doesn't have to have be in a year or two years, but eventually we'll get there as long as we have the plan and we're working towards the plan and we're careful along the way and we make the right moves and don't miss out on good opportunities. Wow, you have such an interesting story. Like, I feel like there's so much to it, like so many different like areas, so many different businesses. Like, it's so interesting to see how it kind of all connects and intertwines for you. I'm kind of curious to like when you when you start a new business, if there's any like key elements you look for, and if there's any like key things you'd stay away from, or like kind of like what your strategy is now before diving into a new business. Yes, yes. Well, nowadays when I start a new business, the first thing that I look for is that can we take this company to the millions? Is this is this a company that is going to make me millions? That's number one. Number two, what is my profit per client? You know, I, I look I look at it that way because I, I like quality instead of quantity. So if I'm looking at selling, for example, pens, that means that the profit margin on a pen is going to be maybe five cents, 10 cents. So in order for me to make a million dollars, I need to sell millions of them. So that's a lot of work. So I kind of tend to look for, you know, how can I find clients where I'm going to get rewarded a lot for them? So if I have a client and, and the real, and the jewelry business, the average client was $800. That was our average client. So for me to make, you know, $8,000, I only needed 10 of them. So the higher your profit per client, the less that you have to work, the more quality that you have. And so that's number one. Number two, can you duplicate that business? Is that business duplicable? So that means that are you able to replicate, create a system, and then just let that business run for you? Because you don't want to be working all the time. I don't like to work. And I always tell everybody, I don't like to work. That's one thing I don't like to do. I don't like to work. So in order for me not to work, I need to find out, like, okay, how can I create the processes and the systems so I could let everybody else work that business, but that business continues growing? So can I duplicate? And that, that happened in the jewelry business that we're able to start with one store, and then we opened 14 stores in less than two years and created a franchise model. We started selling franchises because we're able to duplicate the business model. And once you do that, and you notice a lot of big businesses, the, the reason they, they're so successful is because they have a lot of branches because they're able to grow. When you think of small, a lot of the mom and pop shops, they stay small because they're working on their business. So you got to figure out how can it, how is it that this business, I could create my business and have the business run by itself instead of me running the business, the day-to-day operation. And the other one is, one of the things that 90% of the young entrepreneurs forget to do, which is what I just mentioned with life, is creating a business plan. 90% of people, you know, they get into business. I'm like, oh, you know what? I want to do a car wash company. Boom. They go out there, they buy the equipment, they buy the truck, and they start washing cars. That's perfect. That's amazing that you do it that way. But where's the business plan? Where do you want to be? How much money do you want to make? How are you going to get there? They, don't, they forget about that simple thing, creating a business plan. And I learned that in every one of my businesses, to me, like that's the number one thing that I do. I always create a business plan because I want to know and I want to have the vision of where this company is headed to. But number two is creating a cash flow sheet. So, you know, how do you create a cash flow sheet? It's a cash flow sheet is pretty much telling you that if I want my company to make a million dollars a year, that means that I have to make at least seven hundred thousand dollars per month, seven hundred seventy thousand dollars per month. Sorry. And then you work yourself backwards until you figure out what I was telling you a minute ago, how much you need to make per, per customer or how many customers do you need to have on a monthly basis. 
So once you work yourself back, that cash flow sheet is so important because it also tells you how much money are you able, how much money do you need minimum to survive? What is your break-even point on a monthly basis? And then when can you invest into opening your second operation or like I own a transportation company as well. So uh, when I did the cash flow sheet for my transportation company, I bought into the transportation company. The company had eight trucks. So with my initial investment, we were able to double the size of the fleet. But then I had to wait a couple of months because my cash flow sheet told me, it's like, you have to wait two, three months before you start getting more money. And then in three months, you're going to be able to buy another truck. And then four months, you're going to be able to buy two trucks. So that cash flow sheet helps you tell you, you know, how to scale, how to continue growing your business, because it gives you all the, all the estimated numbers. They're not real numbers because they're estimated numbers. But once you have those two pieces in place, you want to make sure that you work towards making those numbers become reality. And I'm wondering, like, what? What sort of work have you done on your mindset? Like, I'm wondering, like, what sort of strategies have you done in terms of your mindset? Have you had to do a lot of mindset work or were you able to really tap into these visions earlier? I'm curious kind of what your process was there. Yeah. Uh, mindset is, is a huge thing. It's one of the number one things that you need to have to be successful. You cannot be successful if you don't have a mindset. And what I mean by not, not having, a, having a millionaire mindset. There you go. I always call it the millionaire mindset. And when I was growing up, I, I didn't know this existed. I didn't know this, this is what it was called, right? Back then, nowadays, you, everybody calls it the mindset. Everybody calls all these things. And you know about this. But growing up, I didn't know that subconsciously I was working my mindset. Why? Because again, being surrounded by people that were wealthier than me, that had a lot of money, you know, I wanted that. And that was in my mind. Like, I want that. I want that. I'm going to get that. And I was not only saying I want it, but to me, I always used to tell myself, I'm going to have that. When I was like 13, 14 years old, I used to have like a little Lamborghini replica, Lamborghini phone replica in, in my nightstand. And I always said, you know, one day I'm going to have that car. One day I'm going to have that car. And sure enough, I had those cars. And why? Because I programmed my mind and I told myself that I was going to have that. Not, I never said one day, you know, I wish I could have that. I said one day I'm going to have that. So that's the, the part of my set that you have to believe what you want to achieve. And once you believe what you want to achieve, that's going to become a reality, you know, but you also have to put the work into it. So I did have to do a lot of work on my mind. And when I really started, when I really learned about how this works, it started early for me. It started in the military. Now that I go back and I think about it, because when I was in boot camp, the first week was horrible. It was like hell week, like they call it. You have all the drill instructors. You have all the drill instructors yelling and telling you all these crazy things. And then you're, you're afraid because you think you're worthless and all this. But then one time I saw one of the drill instructors yelling at this at this kid. And then he walks around and goes to the other drill instructors and they start laughing. So at that moment, it clicked in my head. I'm like, oh my God, this is a mind game. So they're doing their job. They have to intimidate everybody else. But this is their, this is a job for them. They, they're not doing it because they want to be mean. It's like they have to break you down to, to build it back up, right? Mm -hmm. So I realized that if I want to, grow in life that if you want to grow you have to make sure that you build your 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 mind the way you elevate your mind to higher than where you are you know growing up again there's a lot of limiting beliefs that money doesn't grow on trees you know we can't buy that because we can't afford it or you know save your money for a rainy day like there's all these limiting beliefs that my parents put in my head back in the day my mom my family and and as we're going as like, oh we will never be able to have that like you know that was another one like you will be never, never be able to, to buy a Lamborghini. So with time, when I went bankrupt in 2000, you know, you also have to be ready for things. I wasn't ready to have all that success uh, when I was 27 years old. It was too much money for me. 
And I wasn't ready for it because I didn't create a good foundation. So when I went bankrupt, I was fortunate enough that I went to the seminar and I used to be, the seminar is called, and there's the, the book is still out there. It's called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. So that book taught me about mindset, about the limiting beliefs, how to talk to myself, how to push myself to be better, how, to, how not to think small. And that was like my big mindset shift. And I, and I give a lot of credit to that one event, to that one seminar that I went to, because from there on, I have gone to different other seminars, which it has helped me grow a lot. And that's when I'm talking about the, you know, the power of mentorship, the power of going to seminars. To me, it's huge because in business, and I'm talking about in business right now, I'll talk about the personal side. In business, you know, we get so consumed with our day-to-day operations that you don't think about the growth. You don't think uh, outside the box. I mean, how can I grow this business? And what happened to me was that our jewelry company was doing great when I had the jewelry company and we already had multiple stores. And I went to a business seminar and the business seminar, they talked about franchising, how you could continue growing without by franchising. And then sure enough, like, oh my God, now we could grow, we have a hundred stores without having to put up all the money, let's franchise. And within, you know, came back from that event and within a month, we created the franchise model and we started selling franchises and we continue growing. So that's what those things do to you. They help you elevate your mind. On the personal side, it helps you break down a lot of barriers, a lot of insecurities, a lot of things that we have in our life. And again, to me, the Marine Corps was one of the big ones where it helped me become, like I said, you know, to become that I'm the shit, to, to have this pride in myself, to believe that I could make anything happen in my life, that I am the best of anything. But again, mindset is huge. And I tell everybody, it's like, when we, when we wake up in the morning, our mind has negative thoughts. Our, our mind has more negative thoughts than positive thoughts. Always throughout the day. What happens if I fall? What happens if I get late? I'm going to be late. You know, like even when you're driving somewhere, I'm going to be late. Now that I'm going to be late, I'm going to miss, I'm not going to, I'm going to miss my appointment. So if we start switching all of that to positive thoughts, to thinking positive, to, to looking at ourselves in, in a good area. You know, when we look at the mirror ourselves in the morning, we wake up and like, instead of saying, wow, you look so good today, this morning. Hey, good looking. You know, we look at ourselves in the mirror. The first thing we do is like, oh my God, I got a pimple here. But this hair grew. I'm like, oh my God, I don't look so good. You know, those are negative thoughts. And we look ourselves like that. But and that's a problem that we have to look ourselves, you know, like God, like on a great way, you know, the best way that we are, because God made us perfect. Mm. So if we look ourselves like that, then that's how we're gonna we're gonna be. We're gonna be able to achieve anything in our life. So three things that I do every morning when I wake up. Number one is try to hold a smile for at least a minute. And that just changes my mood, changes my personality. I, I used to be a very serious person. Like people tell me, why are you so serious? I'm like, no, I'm not serious. I'm like, I'm fun, you know? And they didn't believe me because I didn't smile enough. So now that I've been doing that for like about two years now, like my facial expression has changed. I have a smile 90% of the time on my face. And the second thing, again, do my affirmations, you know, tell myself, you know, how good looking I am. Tell myself how great I am, tell, you know, how grateful I am for having the life that I have. And I do that. And my kids do that every, every day as well, because I want them to grow up, to, to grow up being strong, independent woman. My daughter, she tells me, she doesn't say, I want to be a president when I grow up. She's like, I'm going to be the president when I grow up. And again, that goes into that mindset. Like they know what they're going to be. You know where you want to be. And then all you got to do now is work for it. Yeah. Wow. And I'm curious, like going back to your twenties, you said you were working like seven days a week. Like you were like, non-stop working did you have like relationships during that time did you have a family during that time I'm kind of curious how you did it all during that time no at that time I was not I did not have a I was not married I did have a girlfriend at the time but again my relationship was horrible because all I did was work so that's what I did just work 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 
I wasn't enjoying life. You know, I lived in a nice house. I had the nice cars. But one thing is having things. The other one is enjoying them. So having a girlfriend and enjoying time with her was different. You know, having the car and enjoying the car was different. I wasn't enjoying the life. I was just like accumulating material things and not enjoying the things that I have. Nowadays, I have all the toys that I want and I get to enjoy them when I want to. And that's a big difference. I get to enjoy my family. I get to, to spend all the time that I want with them. Uh, I get to spend a lot of time with my wife. So we get, I get to enjoy and I'm more present with them. So I don't work as much anymore. Now I only work maybe like 20 hours a week. Mm. And, you know, I make more money than before. So, and I continue creating wealth. But, but then also I'm giving back a lot, which is a good thing because once you get to a point, you're able to give back. You're able to help other people and, and grow and see them grow. And I love that part. Mm. And earlier you mentioned a bit about your faith and I'm wondering, cause I feel like faith and mindset kind of intertwine in a way. Like, I feel like they kind of overlap. And I'm curious kind of how your faith journey has evolved and kind of where it started for you. Yes. Uh, I mean, God has been number one in my life always. And there's time that I walked away from my faith because I was, I was, I was baptized Catholic when I was very young in Ecuador. And I pretty much my whole life, I was raised Catholic until I graduated from, um, from high school. And as a good Catholic, you know, now you have God in your heart, but you don't have a relationship with God. And you don't go to church all the time. You go, you know, when there's a special moment, Christmas, <laughs> the New Year's, Thanksgiving, you go, you know, when those special moments happen. And so that's part of, of being Catholic. And, uh, but to me, my biggest thing, what, what happened was that I realized that I was very close to God was that when I mentioned that and I said the story that I got arrested, right? So no. what I didn't tell you is, yes, I, I talked about the story that I got arrested. That's why I went into the military. But what, oh, yeah. what I didn't say was what happened after that. So the night that I got home, that my mom bailed me out, I got home and I got on my knees and I prayed and I said, God, please forgive me from this day forward. I'm going to be the best person that I want to be. I promise if you just give me mercy, I'll be the best person ever. And that day I felt God touching me. That's like the day that I saw God and he touched me. And that's when I realized that I did have a relationship with God and he's taking care of me from that day forward. And there's a saying in the Bible that says that God gives you the desires of your heart. And I could tell you, God has given me all my desires of my heart. And the reason I could tell you that it goes, it's not only in the material side, but it goes down into like that. I always say that I wanted a family. I have a beautiful family. I said, I want to have a good looking wife from Colombia, but not born in Colombia. My wife is a beautiful girl and she was Colombian and she was not born in Colombia. And then I said, you know what? I never want to have sons. I want to have daughters and I have two beautiful daughters. So God gave me all the desires of my heart and on that and the material things, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and it's for having that faith, for having that relationship. You know, God plays the number one part of my life. And before I used to say that I was self-made millionaire. So now my title is no longer self-made millionaire because I realized that I need to give the glory to him. And now I am, I am God-made millionaire because I'm not only a millionaire financially, but I'm a millionaire in all aspects of my life. Me being happy. I'm blessed for everything that I have. Having a beautiful family, having an amazing wife, a godly wife, and having some kids that, you know, they know God is number one in their life. So if I were today, today, if I was to be in my deathbed today, Instead of looking back, I said, you know what? I should have done this. I could have had that. I, I'm never going to shit on myself. All I'm going to say is like, you know what? What a freaking amazing life I had. And I did all, I accomplished all my dreams until today. Mm -hmm. I love the way you said that, that not just in your financial status, but in your family. And 
like all different aspects of your life. Cause I feel like sometimes we focus on just the financial aspect and then we kind of like, just like forget about everything else. And then we get the financial aspect and then we're like, oh shit, like what about everything else? Right. And you're not satisfied. You're not happy with that. So it's not a lot about money. You know, money, money is good. Money is great because it gives you the freedom. It gives you the financial freedom, but there's a lot of other ways to achieve that freedom. And you don't need money. You know, to me, for example, my financial freedom could be, you know, just having a million dollars in the bank. To you, your financial freedom could be, you know, having $20,000 in the bank. So our financial freedom status is different for everybody. But again, it goes, if you focus on the money, you're going to forget about everything else. We need to live life to the fullest. We need to have the balance in our life where we enjoy every moment, every stage of your life. Look, you're 20, 21 right now, right? Yeah. You know me? So imagine you're never going to be 21 again. Yeah. You know, God gives us X amount of time. And, that, and that's the only thing we can never get back. You can find another boyfriend. You could have more kids. You could uh, make more money, but you're not going to get the time that you lost today. You're not going to get that time back. Yeah. Wow. And then how, how old are your daughters? Uh, nine and eight. Nine and eight. Okay. If you could only leave like two pieces of advice for your daughters, what would that be? To always keep God number one in their life. And two, please, that, that's number one. I think that's the biggest one. And not advice, but you know, to me, it's leaving the memories. And to me, the most important thing is leave, creating those amazing memories with them, because that's one thing nobody could ever take away from them, memories and knowledge. And I always tell everybody, it's like, you know, I could give you $10,000 right now and you're going to go spend them, right? Or maybe in a year you do something with them and it's gone. But I create an amazing knowledge. If I share my knowledge with you, if I create an experience with you, you're going to have that for the rest of your life. And you can pass on that for generations and generations. Yeah. And what's the biggest thing you think they taught you? They, they keep teaching me every day. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even to speak a better English, <laughs> they, they make fun of me sometimes when I read to them or when I speak to them. So, but no, they, they teach me just to be, to be more present with them. That's what they teach me all the time, to be more present with them. And I love that part because I love them so much that I want to spend every minute with them. So, you know, they teach me the, to let them grow up also because, you know, they're growing up. So I want to keep them as babies, but I know I have to understand that they're growing up. And as they grow up, things changes and, you know, boys will start liking them and things like that. So it's, it's hard for me. Yeah, that's always fun. Yeah, not fun for me. Yeah, I know. it's not fun for the dads. Yeah. But, you know, the, the thing that I learned was is that, you know, I have to be open to them and kind of build a trust with them that they're able to talk to me about anything. And that's one thing that I like. We just actually, about a few weeks ago, we went on a daddy-daughter uh, weekend trip. So it was only them and I. And we sat down on the table. We were having breakfast. And I told them, I was like, you guys could tell me anything that you guys want. Don't be ever afraid of telling me something. And then they started telling me about these boys. And it was like, <laughs> that part, I was like, I was like, you told us we could tell you anything. It's like, yeah, you could tell me anything. But, you know, it's like just speaking to them and telling them how they could talk to me, that they could tell me anything and they could trust me. Just reassure them that they, they are able to trust in me and tell me about anything because I would hate for something to happen and then not being able to have that confidence of telling me things, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so building that bond, building that, that safe bond with them that they're able to talk to me about whatever they need. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, not, not all parents have that, but it's good when you have that, but it's, it's hard to develop. It takes time, but yes, I'm so good to have, especially when something bad happens. But I have a final question for you. If you were to go back in time and talk to your 20-year-old self, what would you want to tell him? 
I get, you know, it's funny because I get asked this question all the time and I will tell them, good job. Keep doing exactly the same thing that you're doing. Don't change anything. Because if there was one thing that you change in your life, if I tell you something about the future, you're not going to have the life that you have right now. That's good. I love that. Awesome. And where can we find you? Where can we stalk you? Where can we connect? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you can stalk me in social media. My channels, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and for the professionals out there in LinkedIn, Edwin Carrion 78. And uh, oh, also you could go to my website, edwincarrion.com. And then from there, you could just click on my social media channels. Thank you so much for doing this. No, thank you for having me. And I hope uh, you guys get some wisdom from this old guy out here. <laughs> you don't look old. You don't look old at all. <laughs> <laughs> I have a young heart. That's why. Okay. It's good. It's always good to look younger. thank you thank you guys so much for listening i love if you can leave me a review on itunes please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with i hope you guys have a great rest of your day